Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. In today's conversation, I'm thrilled to speak with Hillary Hendershot. She's the founder of Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management. She's also the host of the Profit Boss podcast, which has become her primary source for acquiring new clients. In fact, it's worked so well She's generated over 37 million of new assets in just the last 10 months. How does she do it? She receives an average of one lead via her website per day and is currently seeing one high net worth lead, which she defines as 500,000 or more of investable assets come in every six to seven days, almost all of which reach out to her via her website after listening in to her weekly podcast. In an Elite Advisor Blueprint first, Hillary actually reached out to me after hearing one of my episodes to say, Hey, I think I can add to this conversation. She also just passed me up on iTunes. So I knew I needed to get her onto this podcast to share all of her secrets. So if you want to know how podcasting can create authority, help develop trust, and connect you with people who you would never gain access to any other way, this episode is a must listen. Here are just a few highlights of what we get into. First, hear how Hillary got into the business after racking up tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt while in college and finally deciding she needed to make a lifestyle change. Next, Hillary and I talk about gender stereotypes in the financial services industry and the skill set behind why so many female advisors are actually outpacing men when it comes to year-over-year revenue growth. Hillary then dives into how she stumbled into podcasting and how it has allowed her to differentiate herself from her competitors and build her brand. From there, Hillary and I unpack how her podcast helps her land clients and how her marketing techniques and strategies have evolved and grown over time, as well as how she plans to continue to develop the podcast into the future. We then get into the logistics of releasing a podcast, including some early mistakes Hillary made along the way as she launched and set up her very first podcast. Even better, we discuss why you don't need to know anything, even slightly technical, to crank out podcast episodes if you have the right team. And we save the best for last as we get into the specifics on exactly how Hillary makes her podcast marketing funnel work. From her automated website inquiries to virtual appointments, her scheduling software, all the way to moving assets. She lays out her full process for those advisors out there looking to dive into podcasting. Okay, before we get to the show, we have two amazing gifts for this episode. First, Hillary prepared an exclusive gift for you Blueprint listeners, as she's never shared this anywhere else before. She put together a flowchart we've titled The Profit Boss Prospect to Client Blueprint Podcast Edition. And it covers step-by-step exactly how she converts podcast listeners to clients. You can get your download for free at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 50. That's five zero. Also, special thanks to Hillary as she was super giving and open to sharing her secrets with all of you. What an example of having an abundance mindset. Okay, for the second give, this is a big one. 
Thanks to this very podcast, many of you listening in have reached out and applied to work with myself and our team here at Advisors Excel via our website. And one of the questions we get all the time is, why is it that it seems like all of the top independent advisors out there seem to be partnered up with you all? Well, we decided to just record an exclusive interview with our number one client and just ask him. Joel has literally 10x'd his business since joining us, going from 30 million to 300 million of assets gathered organically each year. And he's done it in less than 10 years' time. And that 300 million, I might add, that's not by acquisition. That's literally direct response marketing. He's pacing for 300 million in 2018. So if you'd like to watch the exclusive video interview, you can find it at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash the catalyst. That's T H E C A T A L Y S T. No login required, just a special gift for being a loyal listener of the show. And I can promise you, it will expand your mindset when it comes to what's possible in this business. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Hillary Hendershot. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. I'm excited I have Hillary Hendershot, who is the founder of Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management, as well as the host of the Profit Boss Podcast. Welcome to the show, Hillary. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks. Well, I'm super excited about this conversation because this is the first time a conversation's ever happened like this on the show, which I think is is really fun. It it tells a lot about who who you are is you literally reached out after listening to an episode. And basically, it was an episode on a financial advisor that's podcasting. And you just kind of stepped in, raised your hand and said, Hey, I think I can add to this conversation. Hashtag me too. (laughs) And I was like, then I check out the podcast on iTunes. I was like, I think this is the lady that just passed me up on iTunes. So (laughs) now I definitely have to get her on here so I can learn all her secrets. So anyway, welcome to the show. This is going to be really fun to dig in. I'll set the stage for you a little bit because when we first connected, you blew my mind as far as the success you're having off of your podcast and how that's obviously helping you grow your, your wealth management firm. Correct me if I get any of this wrong. But as of us talking about a month ago, you're generating one lead per day on average off of your podcast. Average is about 100,000 investable assets with one higher net worth lead of 500,000 plus coming in about every six to seven days and all running through the website, which has led to over the last year, you went July of 2017 from about 32 million of assets under management to as of May 2018, 69 million, almost primarily off of the podcast or that being your lead marketing funnel, I should say. Yes, with commitments for about three more million right now. So actual plus commitments, I'm at about 72, 73 as of today. Yeah. I mean, you just asked about 17 questions in one. So. I know. <laughs> I'm doing what not to do as a podcast. So I apologize. <laughs> but now I can get critiques because I've got to fill a podcast host on here. Well, the video thing is very disconcerting. I'm used to not people not being able to see me, so I'm going to get my toehold here in a second. I'll get I'll get my comfort zone. <laughs> no, you're doing good. Uh, yeah. So, with stats like that, so have grown thirty. What is that? Thirty-seven million over less less than a full year ago. With like you said, commitments for another three million or so. Every single person listening in, every single advisor out there is like. 
oh my gosh, how's she doing that? So we can leave them on the edge of their seat for a bit before we get to that. Yeah, let's not say. Yeah, do you, I mean, they have to listen to the whole episode. So <laughs> do you mind sharing just a little bit of here's how Hillary got into the business? Here's what led her to be a financial advisor. Just a little bit of your backstory. Sure. Um, you want to hit on your stint as one of the best swimmers in the history of California. <laughs> and you, told, you can throw that in there too. Really? Yes. My drive to succeed and be the best all was born one day. I was 10 years old, set a record swimming the 25-yard backstroke in San Jose, California. It's still on the wall at my club. And I happen to mention that to you in the pre-conversation. But yes, my mother will be the first to tell you I was always very competitive. So my father was a financial advisor basically my whole life. When I was born he was working for the New York Life. He was selling, obviously, commissionable life insurance. He decided to become a fiduciary fee-only advisor. He was probably one of the first, I don't know, 30 or 100 guys to do it. He was probably 1981, 1982. And his story is that he almost went bankrupt doing it. So he went from earning commissions, selling life insurance. Obviously, those are coming in consistently. And then when you go be a fiduciary fee-only advisor, who wants to be your first millionaire client, right? And when does that fee income start coming in? So anyway, I grew up around it. I tell people until I was about 18 years old, I thought my father had a best friend named Ira who I had never met. <laughs> so that was the conversation in my household. Interestingly, kind of sidebar, I built up... I spent on credit cards in college. And at one point I went to my dad and I said, dad, I've got $20,000 in credit card debt. You're a financial advisor. How come you never told me about credit cards? And he said, you know, I always thought I should have done that at some point. (laughs) So I wanted a sexy job when I got out of college. I got a degree in economics and I wanted to be in management consulting or I wanted to work for Southwest Airlines, which as of this recording is not a sexy company to work for. But at the time I thought it was. And I got into recruiting. And in 1999, at 2000, at 1999, as you know, the bottom fell out of everything. And so people are obviously not hiring recruiters. I said, Dad, I need a job. He very much wanted me to be his business continuation plan. So he brought me into the business. And I started taking the CFP classes and he brought me into meetings with clients. So he's, you know, 35 or so years older than me. I don't know why I can't remember exactly, but obviously his clientele is a lot older than me. Okay. And I started really getting that this business is about them. It's about their lives, their goals, their priorities, their vacations, their kids, that you, you have a connection with these clients in these meetings. And, you know, I thought mutual funds and Roth IRAs were kind of boring at the time, but I finally figured out that it's a way to enable the lives that people really want. And I, I really fell in love with the, the role. So I stuck around. 1999 was my first year in the business, but I was, um, I didn't know myself to be someone who could close a client, right? The closing conversation that my dad would have, the conversations about the market and the portfolios, that was way out of reach for me at that time. And so I didn't do anything about getting new business, building my own clientele. And then one day someone called me and she said, we met at an industry event and I need a new financial advisor because, and this is really funny, she was dating someone who found out that her current financial advisor was someone she used to date. And he said, 
you can't work with him. So she said, I need a female financial advisor. And I remember she came in and she's a multimillionaire and she came in and my brain is going, why is this person here? Why does this person want to work with me? Right. And all I knew was don't stop her from signing the contract. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. And she signed. And there I had my first client. And it's kind of been off to the races from there. But I went out on my own in 2014. So I left my father's firm with 20 million in assets. And then you just talked about how I've been able to grow that since then. So I really wanted to create a brand that was around women. No offense to men. I think Wall Street for a long time has been by men for men, which has left many women feeling very marginalized, ignored. And so why not have a firm and a voice and a brand that pays special attention to us? So that's what I did. And it's funny, I about 35% of my clients are men. I mean, no one seems to be bothered by it. Or the ones who are, they don't call, right? So yeah. it's fine. <laughs> now, are the men clients the ones that come along with their wives? Or they're just calling in on their own? Usually, I've got a couple single male clients. Typically, if I'm going to get a couple, and as you know, typically in a couple, one person will specialize in or quarterback the finance conversation. Mm-hmm. When they come to me, that's usually the woman but not always. Not, I mean, I would say, you know, that's 90% of my clients, but 10% are the more traditional couples. And those are the men, husbands who find value in, you know, me saying to them, look, I can't soften the blow if and when one of you has to say goodbye to the other one, but I can make sure that the money is seamless. And I can make sure that, you know, should you leave your wife behind that she won't wonder where the assets are, how much income she can have this year, whether she can pay her bills, uh, whether she has a relationship with the financial advisor, whether she trusts that person. You know, I can promise you that that's my my value proposition. So they find reassurance in that, and I think that I mean I know that that has value. Yeah, and now that you say that, you just I would think that a lot of husbands who, you know, when you crunch the numbers, are more likely to precede their wives in death. I would think a lot of them see it as like Hillary's like a comforting soul to be there for my wife if anything were to happen to me. Like that's beneficial that you're a female versus not being a female. Yeah. And it's always, I never know exactly how to address that in the client meeting, but I I essentially say something like what you just said. You know, statistically speaking, unfortunately, if we're the same age, the husband is likely to precede the woman in death by about seven years. And that can be emotionally devastating, but I can make sure that it's not financially devastating. So yeah. And some guys get it and some guys don't. And by the way, speaking of guys versus gals, I want to acknowledge you because I have such a chip on my shoulder in this industry Uh sometimes. (laughs) And when I listened to that podcast, uh, the the podcast that had me write in, I thought, this guy's going to ignore me. Like so many men before him in this industry have just, I mean, I go to these, and this was actually just... um, talked about in an article published by Michael Kitsis, but this happened at a FPA uh, meeting, the event in San Francisco. You know, I go to these events and people look at me and they look at my badge and my RIA has my name on it. And they say, are you a financial advisor? And I just think, well, you just don't get it, you know? And so I was really prepared to be ignored. <laughs> and you wrote back right away and you're genuinely interested. And it's like, you get it, but what I've done or what I, what we've been able to do as podcasters is using brand new media. It's like unprecedented, right? So thank yeah. you. I want to acknowledge you for that and for not, uh, thank you for not being one of them. Well, thank you. That means a lot. 
It really <laughs> does. I say it's a joke, but it's sad really more than anything as far as our industry is concerned. I've got a great advisor named Beth. She's out of Pittsburgh. And I mean, she's I mean, she's smarter than all my all my advisors put together. She's a CPA, CFP. I mean, she's, you know, tax planning, financial planning all in one. And she goes to our events and nine times out of ten, the advisors will start speaking to her husband and asking him about their you know, your practice and how's that going and all of that. And her husband Todd is like salt of the earth, like worked in a steel mill his whole life. And for a while, he'll literally like play along with it for a while until eventually they figure out that like he's never been a financial advisor in his life. But he calls himself the advisor's Excel wife or something like that. <laughs> so he he just switches the joke on all the guys. He's like, I'm just the plus one, dudes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's it's the we have a very a very can be uh, a lot of stereotypes in our industry. But here's what's cool is you all female advisors out there, I look at our you know, we work with 650 offices across the country, independent advisors. And when you look at our highest performing offices, if you looked percentage-wise, females to males, probably no more than 10%. I think we're actually high in a female to male ratio. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the fastest rising, fastest growing, the females are outpacing the guys substantially. In terms of business building? Business growth, yeah. Yeah. And I just think because you listen... You know, you actually like listen and, and nothing against you guys out there. This is not like beat up on guys, but intuitively females listen and ask questions. And as opposed to here's the answer, take it. Right. Right. Here's this two inch thick financial plan. That's going to become your future doorstop. And I, I always get, I'm so entertained by this topic of conversation about how do you work with female clients, right? How can we as financial advisors possibly connect with these overly emotional wild creatures that we don't understand? And it's like, how, how about if you just don't think of them like that? (laughs) Right. I mean, and you get all these platitudes and stereotypes about, well, women women don't think about returns. Women just think about their kids and their vacations. And it's like, no, some women think about returns. When it comes to their money, some people are very focused on returns. And so the answer to how to connect with a client or potential client is as individual as the human being, him or herself, right? And I think you're right. It takes listening. You know, I'm training my associate advisor now, and I've been really been thinking about how to articulate to her how to run the first set of meetings. And the more I think about it, the most important thing is listening, mirroring and matching, saying back to them the words that they say, right? And so it's listening plus, 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 listening on steroids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have to transition to the podcasting front, or we're just going to have a bunch of upset, angry financial advisors listening in. And we wouldn't want that. Yeah. We don't want to do that. We want to make the audience happy. So let's transition the part of your story to how did you get into this new format, this new medium of podcasting? What did that journey look like? And then let's, let's dive in from there and unpack it. Yeah. I think I'm one of the many, many, many women in this world who had Marie Forleo envy, right? Uh Everyone was, it was all back in the day, you know, I feel like three, four years ago, I took, I don't know if you've heard of her B-School program. I was in her B-School program and I was thinking, how can I really create a platform that's different? How can I differentiate? How can I use technology? How can I nod to the fact that I'm, my, my business is here in Silicon Valley? And I just, 
I really got the adage about marketing, be better or be different. But if you have to choose one, be different. And um, so I wanted to build a platform and a personality brand. And this has all evolved so much. I'm actually taking steps now to sort of shed the personality brand, but that's a different conversation. So I really wanted, I thought I really wanted to create a movement of women who were supporting each other to build wealth. You know, I uh, one of the things that we know, and of course, it depends which study you look at, what age group you survey, but, and I know this anecdotally, older women, more mature women will say 40s and above. And look, I'm in my 40s, so don't react to the fact that I just said older. But women who are, let's say, non-millennials, tend to keep their money in cash. So I call wealth building is like the last frontier of feminism. You know, we can vote, we're in the C-suite, we're making financial, personal finance decisions in the household, what to spend on, but we're not building wealth. And so I thought, let me just really take this on. Let me spearhead this. And I thought the podcast would be a great way to do that. And I'm one of those crazy people who I actually love public speaking. They say it's top fear in the world above even death for most people. But man, you give me a microphone and I'm just fascinated with the power of that. It's like, wow, people would actually listen to me. So podcasting seemed like the right venue. And I thought I would really differentiate myself by talking about money psychology a lot. I actually did a TEDx talk in 2013 about money psychology. I told the story of my own financial failure and subsequent turnaround and how I used, how I had come to honor the words and stories that we tell about money as being very powerful in our in our narrative. And so I thought I'll, I'll talk about money psychology and that will be my differentiator. And over these years in podcasting, I think I'm going to be leaving a little bit of that behind. I think that maybe it's talked out for me or I'm not sure, but that was what Profit Boss Radio was founded on. And so I have just been doing, I have just been launching lean and taking feedback and iterating since then. My whole life is what, I think that book is called Launch Lean, right? I'm not familiar with it. I mean, they're very well. Yeah, the whole- Like ready, fire, aim, same concept, right? Right. The whole premise of the book is put out a minimum viable product, get people to buy it, get their feedback, make it better, and then sell it again. (laughs) Yeah. And um, while I haven't been, I never put out a minimally viable financial, comprehensive financial advice product, I feel like all my marketing stuff and the messaging that I go to the world with, that that has always been, well, let's see what people think. So I, we've been iterating and I've learned a ton. And, and at this point, um, there's a whole just a whole ecosystem of content that I've put out there. And as you know, once you get content out there, you can transform it and repurpose it and make it good for different mediums. And I don't know, I think I'll stop because I think I could probably talk about that for a half an hour, but let me let you ask a question. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is, I mean, just this whole conversation. That's what I love about podcasting. It's just organic conversation creation and let the conversation go where it can serve the audience. So it's just, it's like, the most addicting thing in the world to me now. Do you feel the same when you're doing interviews? I love it. I love it. I mean, I can't believe I get to get on the line with people like Barbara Stani and David Bach and Dan Ariely and, you know, just people who have done incredible things and they're willing to get on the, the audio line with me for a half an hour or 40 minutes and talk about it. It's so cool. I say podcasting has kind of become part of my self-expression. I, 
First of all, I mean, just a little thing, but when I first started podcasting, I, of course, just like every other human being on the planet, hated my voice. You know, it's hard to watch yourself on video, hear yourself on audio, completely comfortable with it now. I have no issue. I listen to my own podcast episodes before they come out. So, you know, if I'm not talking in my house, I'm generally playing my own voice. <laughs> so when friends um, come over, they're like, who is this self-absorbed person? But you're like, no, I'm just trying to get better. <laughs> I'm just making myself better. It's a yeah. better message. Yeah. You know, but just um, the idea that if something happens in the market or, you know, I tend to look for what are women saying? What are women asking? I recently, you know, maybe it was as late as early as six months ago, but there was an article that came out. I won't cite the specific source, but I thought it was one of these kind of nonsense. I call them doomsayers, economic doomsayer articles. And I got to do a whole episode about how can you pick this article apart? How do you understand what this person's real motive is when they say this is going to happen in the marketplace? Okay, well, let's look at, you know, a hundred years of stock market history. Has that ever happened? What are the impacts of that? Was it in fact predictable? And I think that kind of thinking really helps and it gives people frameworks to think from. And, and I love that I get to publish some of this thinking that I've developed over time and that I kind of hang my hat on now and I get to make a difference in other people's lives so that they don't panic. You know, fear is a big thing when it comes to investing. And I'm very committed that women ha- around me have the opportunity to experience less fear, if not no fear. So just like those t-shirts I used to wear back in junior high, no fear. No fear. You remember those? <laughs> go big or go home. <laughs> or date or dating ourselves here. So it, it, you actually, uh, one of the things you said in the first conversation that, that we connected, the fact that you've got the power, well, you, now that you have a platform and you've got a mic in front of you, you have this platform that anytime there's a market change, you can be on the mic the next day broadcasting not only to your clients, but to prospects. Hey, here's my thoughts. Here's how we think about it. And I was, as I was prepping for this conversation, I was like, that has been the shift in digital media, whether it's YouTube or podcasting, is 50 years ago, how you had the biggest megaphone was if, if you had the biggest bank account. Right, you had to be some big corporation that hired a PR company to get in. If the publishing media. media companies got behind you, you had a voice. Yeah, and now you look at like Elon Musk, a good example. <laughs> he's he's basically going through you know the challenges of introducing new technology like autopilot in the car industry. And now, anytime there's a crash, of course, it's front news, uh, front page news. But now, because he's got a massive Twitter following, massive blog, he can publish his side of the story. Right. right. And so I think that's what's cool in the financial advising world is now you as an advisor, especially now that you've grown a legitimate podcast with a big following, here's my side of the story on everything. How have you seen that impact client conversations? How have you seen it impact prospect conversations? Yes. So you mean how has the podcast impacted prospect conversations or how has what I'm my message impacted? How has having an immediate to market So market drops 5% today. Uh, Tomorrow, you can do a podcast. It can go live probably a few days after. How has that impacted the conversations you're having with clients and prospects? Just being able to have that medium and that power. Yeah. So it's very remunerating for me when when people say to me, I I loved what you said about what happened in the stock market last month. And I want you to know, you know, I'm not going to sell out. I know we've got a 
great diversified portfolio. And but it, it makes a difference for me to hear you consistently reinforcing that. Even though you know you tell the same story over time, I still want to hear it's not different this time. I don't bring up the podcast in prospect meetings. I don't I feel like when they're in my office, it's my opportunity to learn about them. And so I talk about what their experience is going to be with my firm. But more more often than not these days, people will say, Oh, I listened to three or four episodes of the podcast. I think they kind of just do it to check me out. If they're not already a podcast listener, they see on the site that there is one and they go, well, let me listen, make sure, you know, she doesn't say anything that sounds crazy town. And I share stuff on the show that's about my life. I share about my baby. I share about my marriage. I share about my home remodel. And so, you know, it's possible for someone to walk into my office and know a lot about me personally. And that feels a little scary. But if you check in on that fear, it's like, what can they really do? There's no, I, I don't know. It's just a human fear of vulnerability. There's no like potential losses or costs to that. I mean, I guess someone could mock me and think poorly of me, but you know, so far they don't, or they, they don't tell me about it, but clients will often quote me. So they'll say, but you know, you said this and, uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause obviously I have to make sure I don't contradict myself <laughs> and there's not much chance of that. Um, but I've had to unwind some things, you know, um, people will, people will download apps because someone on my show mentioned it. Well, you, you know, you had someone on talking about the, what's that one where it rounds up to the pennies and throws, throws your change in a savings account. Acorn. Someone came on my show and talked about the Acorn app. And I said, you guys, I don't care about pennies. Just because they mentioned it on the show doesn't mean I, I endorsed it. And they said, oh, well, we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, you know, it's a mixed bag. Like I said, some people, I don't think some people who are some of my highest net worth clients have never listened to an episode. So I have to know how to dance in the conversation, right? It's like, right. how much information are you coming to the to the table with here. Yeah. But overall it's been it's been an amazing communications platform. All right, so let's let's dive in. Let's like laser focus on the podcast. Okay. So if I'm trying to think the best way to kind of unpack but maybe if we just start with this is really a marketing funnel to you. So a lot of our clients for example, and I know a lot of advisors listening in, their traditional marketing funnels are going to be public events or seminars probably traditional radio shows, minimum or have TV shows, but some do. And then more of your client referral events or bring a friend events or just like the organic like referral-based practice. So if we basically say, hey, there's this new marketing funnel out there called a podcast. Let's just... If we start at the top of the funnel and work its way down, do you care to just like unpack that? And then I'll just throw you random questions along the way. Does that work? Start at the top of the funnel and work the way down. What do so, you mean? Such as I do a show, the show goes live, oh. and then I put a some form of a call to action in there. Mm -hmm. And then here's how, well, for example, you said you landed a, a couple million dollar client off of your podcast. There's yeah. many people listening in and like, how did Hillary do that? That would be it. <laughs> so, so, okay. So evolutionarily from the beginning of time in 2016, when I started Profit Boss Radio, Podcasts were, well, there were definitely some people who had uh, built huge audiences. Podcasting was relatively new. We were still teaching people how to listen to podcasts at that time. And all the data said that it was only younger people who were listening to podcasts. So at that time, I was brainchilding a 
comprehensive financial planning service for clients with between $25,000 and $499,000 of investable assets. My high net worth minimum as of this recording is $500,000. And I really wanted a smaller account solution, both to work with people who I saw as my cohort and I just, I never was really turned on by the idea of having higher and higher minimums. It's like, okay, you have to have 2 million to talk to me. Now you have to have 3 million to talk to me. And of course, at the time I wasn't there, but that was just what I wanted to do. And given I had an MBA, I was like obsessed with scale. And I thought this would scale. So I was building a solution that I now call Ignite Investing. And that solution has been launched. And I use the podcast as a promotional platform for Ignite. Okay. So I, truth be told, stayed away from financial the traditional financial planning topics. I did an interview about social security just as sort of the quintessential financial planning topic. And I didn't call it social security. I called it the million dollar asset you don't know you have. Right. Mm. And that's in terms of headline creation. Because right. I was avoiding I didn't want people to think that my topics were boring. Okay. So I have my thinking on this has really evolved in the last six to nine months. I'm currently wrapping up season two of Profit Boss Radio. And in season three, I'm going to be, I, I said to them, I said, in, I'm letting people know that season two is wrapping up. And I said, look at, we've been together for a couple years now. And the truth is we've grown, we're elevating, and we're going to start talking about these technical topics that you need to know about. So we're season three, Profit Boss Radio is growing up. So yes, I have calls to action. We launched Ignite around the turn of the year, I believe episode 100 of Profit Boss Radio was the Ignite announcement. And since then, we've had calls to action for Ignite on every show. And every week we get at least... Now, you said in the intro that I get a lead a day. It's more like two to three a week for Ignite. Okay? okay. So, but we get we get incoming contacts every time there's a call to action. And so that's been really good. We've built up the Ignite program. Can you share just a sample of what that call to action might sound like if I was listening in? Oh, sure. I wish you had told me. Sorry, that's impromptu. I know. If you don't have it right off the top of your head, no worries. Yeah. So I think it goes something like, you know, some advisors don't think you're worth anything unless you have a half million dollars to invest. Um, But I want you to know they're dead wrong. I've, I've created Ignite Investing with you in mind. These are... For pe- this is a comprehensive fiduciary advice offering for people with between $25,000 and $499,000 to invest. You get a financial action checklist. You get real attention from a real advisor who wants to build a relationship with you. And to check it out, go to igniteinvesting.com and click get started. So cool. super yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do like, and I will use when we start doing calls to action for the the high net worth offering. I'll use the language about uh, schedule an initial consult or a discover meeting so that we can see if we're uh, might be well suited to work together. I think that that's a very, I like that language. It works for me. It is something I use in my practice. I definitely have said no to certain prospective clients who I just thought this is not a fit. I I don't want to be in this meeting with you. I can't imagine wanting to be in your life with you. And that is very rare. <laughs> I Hey, I just had one of those the other day myself. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the power of having a firm that you, you're growing in a certain way. And here's not everybody's going to be a fit and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a time in my career and I shared briefly that I, I myself had a financial turnaround. I really, 
I really was a huge overspender and I, I, I got myself in trouble. And I have turned that around, but climbing that mountain is steep and it requires a lot of activation energy. It requires longevity. It requires endurance. And I was very hungry and I was working a lot hard, <laughs> you know, sacrificing quality of life. And I'm now in a place where my personal income from the RIA is high. Um, you know, I have a baby and I have a team to support me. So it no longer makes sense for me to be in this like sprint. It, and it's weird because my mindset was always like at all costs, business yeah. building at all costs. And it worked. And now it's more, it should, it needs to be quality client service and excellent marketing at all costs. And that requires me to have time off. <laughs> yeah. What so, if, I mean, I think that is a, common thing in financial services, just this type A, like busting through brick walls, just whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Was there a, was there like a aha or a wake up moment, wake up call moment for you that led to kind of the reprioritization there? I'm so thick headed. There's been an aha 18 months. (laughs) What, what the heck have I been doing? No. No, I really am quite stubborn. And I think part of business building at all costs is not taking some of the feedback that the world is giving you. Uh, I've had aha moments about other things, but this particular thing has gone in waves. So I finally said to, I think my business mastermind, I said, um, my quality of life is low. I'm not enjoying this. It's not fun anymore. I mean, I think that really was it because I'm so fulfilled by what I do. I love client meetings. I love being in meetings with my clients. And I had a realization that I, instead of feeling fulfilled and excited about my day, I was feeling trapped, overworked, tired, unnourished, right? And so I said to my business mastermind, I got to I'm going to shift this. And then there have been waves. I did it. I shifted it. And then I got right back into the pattern. And then I shifted it and I got right back into the pattern. It's like, you know, when you go to your calendar, it's like, well, I'll just move this around. I'll just, that, I'll just end that meeting a little sooner, you know, or I just yeah. won't work out that day. And it's like, oh, Hillary, stop. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, our industry is, we're self-sabotagers. And, and it's because we, we, I find the most successful advisors, it just, well, it's like the you were a good swimmer. Like you have this drive to compete and that crosses over into business and mm-hmm. like the calendar stuff. It's just like you almost have to take the control out of your hands. This is no longer my job. I can't even touch my calendar because I know if I touch it, I'm gonna screw it up and I'm gonna I think fall that's back. the next step uh, for me. Yeah. I have I would, help. With I would the encourage calendar. you to. We've had a lot, I mean, we've got a lot of clients where that that was it. It's like I honestly I'm the exact same way. My wife would tell you, she's like, oh yeah, here goes Brad again. It's like, things are good. And then he's fallen, fallen back in. And ever since I took the calendar out of my hands, it just, and as long as you set the rules, like here is my ideal week and here's how it needs to run. And it helps. You'll still try to overrule it, but. I have it now configured pretty well. Couple days a week for client meetings, and m- Mondays are for podcasting. Fridays I have my team meetings, and then Wednesdays are like the the variable. I can do anything I want with Wednesdays, and that's working. It's working pretty well. We had to make some changes with my nanny's schedule. I never thought about what it would be like to have a a baby. How much in real reality that changes what's possible in your calendar? I just I was like, we'll get a nanny, and to me, before I had the baby, that solved the problem, <laughs> and it just it's not. 
it's not a panacea. So it's been interesting. Okay. So we, I'm trying to go back now. Sorry. We're, <laughs> this is what's fun about podcasting. Let it go where it goes. So going back to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So you started out with this kind of scale. You wanted to make this scalable. And so the 25,000, the 499,000, then the 500,000, then you put the call to action in. Mm-hmm. And, and okay, I'm a listener. I listen to the podcast. I click the work with me on Ignite Investing. Mm-hmm. What's it? How's it go from there? What What does that look like? Oh, okay. And if you want to go back and do some more like things, I would recommend if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I definitely have some like... Please do. Yeah. Let's go back to podcasting 101. Like mistakes you made along the way, anything. Yeah. Throw those out there. Yeah. So I worked with a team to help me create a podcast launch. So media and attention is everything and you have to make as much noise as you can. Don't just put a podcast on iTunes and start talking, right? You've got to build buzz. And so part of my launch strategy, if I can recall it specifically was, I mean, you need your podcast cover art and that of course had my face on it and now it doesn't, but... Is uh, there a reason to that? Well, to both sides. Well, again... I thought I was building a personality brand, Mm -hmm. but when you're building a personality brand, it's all you. Well, I'm a mother and a wife and a financial advisor. And, you know, so I'm not a media, I'm I'm not trying to position myself as a media, like the the star of the show anymore. I have an associate advisor. Imagine bringing her into meetings and I need to envision into the future what my business is going to look like. I want her to be able to close clients. Mm -hmm. So what's she going to do? Well, Hillary recommends, Hillary says, no, she needs to have her own voice, right? Mm -hmm. So we're transitioning a little bit away from it being just, just me. So that's just... So is she coming on the podcast or has she already? She has, she has, and she'll be doing more of that. And I'm working with her a lot on, like I said earlier, so those initial client conversations, she's 12 years in the business Mm -hmm. and technically impeccable. And, you know, I don't know how many uh, advisory staff this firm will have, but she's my first... Uh, you could say replica of me, right? And so it's a matter of really getting her trained, but also giving her that platform, that opportunity. Well, if everyone walks in here to see me because it's my face that's on the homepage and my face on the podcast artwork, well, she's kind of hamstrung from the beginning. So that, and that's for my quality of life. It's not a benevolent thing for Jen. This is the, mm-hmm. the firm I want to build. So definitely put together a podcast launch. I paid, and I'm just, I'll am just i just get into nuts and bolts here. I, I believe I paid $7,000 for a team to put together a launch for me, their launch strategy. They did all the technical stuff inside iTunes. They put me in Libsyn and Stitcher and all those other things I don't understand. So they did the podcast artwork, and then I was responsible to go out and get... So, so real quick, and you and I can nerd out on this, but there's a lot. It's It's been really cool because as this experiment's progressed with me, all of that is Latin to most financial advisors, right? So Libsyn is going to be where wow. your your site lives, like what puts it out to the world where you host it. Stitcher is going to be the the Google version, right? Of where they're the Google version of iTunes, essentially. I right? don't actually know. Okay. See, that's awesome. I love I the fact you. that you've got this awesome website or this awesome podcast and you're like, I don't know the details. Uh, yeah. and cover art just to kind of paint the picture, that's going to be the little picture that shows up next to your show right out on iTunes or wherever it lives. So sorry, I just wanted to slow you down in case the audience wasn't no, quite... 
That's okay. And it's just like, you know, when I first learned what a web server was and an IP address, I was like, you have to be kidding me. I don't, I can't even conceptualize this. Real quick there. That is such a lesson. <laughs> that I mean, that right there is a massive lesson to everybody listening in is like, I don't even know what those things are, but yet you have a podcast live and you're cranking shows out. It's because you put a team around you or yeah. you need money to launch the thing. So... Yeah. And I mean, I have philosophies about how I build teams and those relationships are critical to me. But if I am spiritual, rules-based about who I surround myself with and I do what I do really well and I continue to pay them, like I say, I will pay them, in my opinion, and I have a lot of evidence that this is true, they're going to support me no matter how much I blow it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... I couldn't even publish an episode without my team. I click record on my computer. I talk into this microphone and then I upload it to Dropbox and I send an email. Go. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> so um, I, I can learn some lessons from you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm 95% there. There's a couple other things slowing me down a bit, but is that right? Yeah. So, so I just want to be able to. I want to be able to upload it and, and type go in an email and things happen. I'm not quite to the just two letter move forward on the podcast yet. Yeah. I mean, you have to make your decisions about how you want to spend your resources and your time. And I know that a lot of very technical, a lot of financial advisors who are very deep and technical may want to do it on their own. My opinion is you're a business owner and you need a team to support you. So second, you need to go out for, for your launch, what I did was I reached out to anybody I knew who had any kind of influence online and basically begged them to give me some reciprocal attention on this one particular day. So there was a launch day, the first day. And at the time, the strategy was you, you launch three episodes at once. And I can't remember exactly why that is, but I think it's like more likely for you to get iTunes reviews if you have more than one episode or it's just more content for people. Oh, I think it was amount of downloads, yeah, which would sort yeah. of trick iTunes into putting you on the new and noteworthy. Yeah. So the, it's kind of like when Netflix launches a new, like they can binge watch or binge listen, right? Is my understanding of it. Did, yeah. So were you able to get on the new and noteworthy? Fairly quick I did get on new and noteworthy. And I don't, from my conversations inside the Podcasters Paradise group, which I'm a member of, I've, I think I've read that that's not possible anymore, that independent podcasters just are not being featured on new and noteworthy. You know, you have these podcast networks who are being staffed and the content is being created by, you know, professional storytellers and media people who already have audiences. And I mean, it had to go that way, right? It, of course, you know. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically what TV was when it first launched was like three little stations. And then now you've got syndication networks and all, all of that. I just, which yeah. still were so early from a podcasting front, but yeah. So then if you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get the tailwind afforded by big institutionalized traditional media. So then you need to start thinking about sharing other people's audiences. There are people all around you who are leading groups tribes, as Seth Godin would say. Mm -hmm. And every time, for example, I, I also pay uh, interview connections is my podcast interview bookers. So they both book the people I want on my show, and then they book me on other people's shows. And the idea when you go on another person's podcast is that you talk about your podcast. You know, before you and I started recording, you said, what do you want to talk about today? Well, when I get on an audio medium, the only thing I want to talk about is Profit Boss Radio. And then the idea is 
people come over, they, they, they hear you say something that sounds intriguing. They come over and check out your show and then you're nurturing them. And that's my opportunity to build rapport and trust. And then, you know, the call to action is the invitation. It's like, okay, let's close the deal. Let's move one step further. Um, if this message resonates with you. So I, you know, for a while would just get on any podcast I could possibly get on. I did a bunch of television, by the way, I paid a lot of money for media training and I've been, it's been valuable. So I get, I still get called to be on the local news, the channel 11 NBC station here in the San Francisco Bay area. They'll call me for market commentary. If, if you know, the market tanks and that's been very valuable. I learned how to make those contacts and nurture those contacts by paying, like I said, a lot of money for media training, but I did this local television station tour. I'm just giving all the information today. <laughs> um, and, you know, I went around to like Bakersfield and Albuquerque and Los Angeles and Phoenix. And I mean, I paid to fly to these cities to be on the local news. And the idea is to to reinforce that personality brand. And I did get a sizzle reel out of it. If you don't know what a sizzle reel is, it's basically just a bunch of those clips or highlights from those clips stitched together, edited together with exciting music behind it. And, you know, a sizzle reel is required. If you're going to get on some of the bigger shows, if you're going to even think about pitching Good Morning America, you got to have a sizzle reel. But what I learned is that television doesn't produce business because the local news is not going to let you put your website in the lower third and say, they're not going to say, call Hillary Hendershot. You know, here we are in Phoenix, Arizona. She's in San Jose. Why, why is this financial advisor on, on the show? Right. So I really spun my wheels, I think, just doing anything and everything to build a platform to get attention and an audience. So in retrospect, I'm, you know, obviously I'm glad to be edified by media training. It it does come in handy, but I don't think that that was a good use of my time. And, you know, when you're flying around city to city, it's very disruptive for Mm -hmm. your personal life, for your business. Anyway, so that's just a lesson I learned. I don't know, maybe you listening have learned a different lesson, but so in the, in the early days of the podcast, it was like, not only do you need to produce great shows, but you need to be getting on other people's shows to share their audience. And then you just ask, listen, and I, I would say, if you have room in your podcast lineup, I'm at Profit Boss Radio. This is your Women's Wealth Mastermind. It's a completely judgment-free zone. We talk about wealth building. We talk about um, investing. We talk about making money. We talk about saving money. You know, So I would just do anything I could to get them to, to check. So a mini, a mini call to action when you're guesting on other people's shows. Yeah. And most podcasters are not professional media people and do not care that you're at. I mean, essentially they could view it as, oh, you're inviting my audience to leave me to come over to your show. Well, not everyone doesn't have an infinite capacity to listen to podcasts. So you could essentially be cannibalizing my audience. Most podcasters don't even think that way. Yeah. It's a very abundance mindset from my experience so far. It's just... it's like the the rising tide, you know, carries all boats. I, I find that that's kind of the mentality in podcasting. Yeah. Have you, have you found the same? That has been my experience. And also, yeah. I think if I were pitching some paid product, that would be a very different story. A lot of people have something against that. But yeah. who's going to say, no, you can't mention your podcast? It's like not that big of an ask, you know, and it's not taking anything from their audience. It's not invasive. So I did a lot of that. And then... Um, so as far as going back to grow, how you grew your audience, because most of our clients are going to be traditional radio paid. I paid this amount of time for this amount of... I paid this amount of money for this amount of time on the radio. 
the difference in podcasting, you, you, it's like when you start a blog, you type something and it's like, oh, nobody's reading this, right? So how did okay. you how did you actually... Was that the most successful thing with growing your podcast audience was guesting on other people's shows or were there other strategies that worked? So interestingly, I'm such a, I guess, non-traditionalist. Like I sort of think I'm different than mainstream everything. And I stayed away from the mainstream popular people. And But Interview Connections said, we can get you Dan Ariely. And Dan Ariely wrote... Uh, it's not nudge. I can see the cover of his book, but I can't think of the name. Uh huh. Um, it's a behavioral finance book. Something it's different, about- irrationally different, or something like that. Or yes. Something with irrational in it. Yes. Okay. He's a fantastic speaker, amazing author. He came on, and just the feedback was like powerful. Like blew me away. People were like, "This was your best guest ever. Thank you for having him on." Interview connections also booked David Bach for me. And Libsyn, by the way, if you become a podcaster, you'll be familiar with Libsyn because that's where you go to check your vanity metrics. You go there to check your downloads. And so for the longest time, every day, my team would hear, this is what Libsyn says today, you know? And when David bought, when the David Bach episode aired, my downloads went through the roof. And I thought, this is so funny because I just wasn't I mean, David, if you're listening, I'm sorry, you're a great guy. I thought David's a man. David is kind, he's kind of a comp, my competition. He's so mainstream and my show is not that. And he was a great interview, but the results were just, just blew me away. So, and that's what I meant when I said earlier that it's been a launch lean process is because I had no idea that those would be the results. And so then obviously when you get that kind of positive feedback, you go do more of that. So, so, so I've got to hop in Hillary. Here's one of the things I've seen that's a limiting belief in a lot. I think still today, most financial advisor radio shows that I hear and most... Well, there's not hardly any podcast out there, as you know. But the few that I do, it's kind of like, well, how would I ever get a guy like David Bach to guest on my show or Dan O'Reilly? Ariely. Ariely, yes, if I'm even saying his name right. And it's the fact that you have a stage. It's sitting out there. You've got this podcasting stage. And guess what? You'll be surprised who shows up when you actually invite them. Yeah. So was that surprising to you at first? Like, oh, wow, I'm getting like nine-time New York Times bestseller David Bach to hop on my show. It was. And then he got on, you know, he got... So first of all, it only costs him 35 minutes or whatever. He's sitting in his hotel room. I don't even know what city he's in. He's got something to promote. And I've got a thriving audience. And, you know, it's a niche. It's a... It's a a long tail, as we say in marketing, right? I'm not a mass media platform, but my people listen. Yeah. And so it's a, you know, he, so, so when he um, came on, he, he clicked on the video while well, I'm sitting there in my PJs, right? And I said, no, I can't do video. We're not doing video. It's audio only. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I just blew it. I could have gotten video with David Bach. So, you know, media training, be ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very interesting how it's blown my mind. And and David Bach, um, he he actually works with A Wealth on our side, so I'm familiar yeah. with David. He's been on the show, and yeah. it's just blown me away how when you have a professionally done show that they can hop on and just see, hey, you know, yeah, this is a legitimate show. There's just not some fly by night person recording out of yeah. their garage or something. You'll be surprised who shows up, and then in turn. You're trying to grow a, grow a financial services firm. 
that you're guilty by association there with your audience, which is an awesome thing when you're side by side or in the earbuds with a nine-time New York Times bestseller. So it's a it's amazing who will show up for that that would never right. show up if you were to do a public seminar or, or some other medium out there. So right. Right. And that's been a lot of fun. I've got to have a lot of conversations and build many relationships that otherwise would have been highly unlikely. Okay. So let's keep diving in here. And I know we're up against the clock now. This is the pressure of being a podcast host, right? You you can uh you can relate. So here's here's a a stigma in our industry, which you've busted through, capturing 37 million off your podcast approximately over the last 12 months or so. So there's this, and it's just how the industry's always been. So it's how most people still continue to run their business. It's it's very brick and mortar of, hey, I do this local event. I do these events that you know surround my local office. So I think another disconnect is, okay, so now I have this awesome podcast. Now I get a call to action. They click on my website. They want to meet with me. But how do I do that virtually when I'm used to people coming into my office and sitting directly across the desk from me? So how have you navigated that? Right. And you asked before about the actual technical process of how they get to me from igniteinvesting.com. So I'll cover that really quickly. And that is a series of type forms. We literally use, I believe the company is called Typeform. Mm -hmm. FP Precise. FP Precise is a confidential tool that allows people to input their bio data essentially, uh, you know, between me and the, and the, I don't know how many financial advisors are listening, but what we do is we ask them all the questions that we need to populate the account application if they say yes. Okay. So their name, uh, address, date of birth, um, amount in various accounts like that. And so we have that on file and we have created a way for that form to talk to the account application. So it's all seamless. I don't have to gather the data. There literally is a welcome to ignite investing video on the homepage where I talk about the investment solution. So I do that meeting one-on-one with high net worth prospects. I don't do that meeting one-on-one with ignite prospects. So that's the way that we've... So greater than 500,000, it's you personal, less than 500,000, it's not you. Yeah. And I'm training Jen to to run that meeting as well. And so the question, so... So sorry, this is getting a little technical, but these are the questions going through advisors' heads. So that form, is it feeding into your CRM as well? I think so. Like Redtail or Salesforce? I use Redtail. I mean, it definitely ends up in Redtail and I you know, Jen manages that process. I know that it happens and I know that we've talked about a direct feed and something tells me it's like in the works, but anyway, it's happening. Okay. Forms. And then what was the second question? What was the question you most recently? Yeah. So how, so say, okay, let's say it is a 500,000 plus prospect or they're meeting. Oh, how do I invite them to a virtual meeting? Yeah. Yeah. I let them choose. They get a Calendly link and it says, do you want in office or do you want virtual? So they pick. And then we get on the meeting and I mean, maybe a couple times, I think that Zoom technology has not worked out. I had one prospective client who showed up in literally pajamas. She was sort of sitting in the fetal position on her bedroom floor up against her dresser. And I thought, what's happening here? This is very strange. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is strange. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe a couple times we've sort of aborted mission because the technology, the Zoom technology wasn't working on their end. And so I just said, I'm just going to pick up the phone and call you. Okay. And they said, okay. A few times. Is that like one out of a hundred? Like one out of 60. One out of 60. Yeah. 
not significant, not like a problem I feel like I need to deal with. And Zoom, I think, is the best tool to do that with. So I just ask them, what do you want to do? I mean, I have, you know, the largest client that I brought in in the last 12 months made $7 million in a recent IPO. And they're in San Carlos, California. I'm in San Jose. So that's like 35 miles on the freeway. But the traffic is horrible. Mm -hmm. I've never met them in person. I've never shook their hand. They did all their meetings via Zoom. And that was their choice. And they said, that's the only way we're going to do it. And I said, okay. (laughs) Okay. Which is awesome because there's this thing in a lot of advisors' brains where it's like, I have to meet them face-to-face. This is a high trust business, obviously. That's interesting. Your highest net worth person, you think about it, they need convenience. They're like an hour of their time is very valuable. I don't have time to sit in traffic on the freeway. Yes, let's do virtual. That's the only way I'll work with you. Mm-hmm. That's a lesson right there just by itself. Yeah. How about if you ask the client what they want and then shut up and listen, <laughs> you know, instead of us saying how it has to go. I mean, there are things I'm very demanding about. I make them upload all their financial documents before I'll talk to them. You know, the account statements, tax returns, things like that. I no longer will meet with just the wife or just the husband if it's a high net worth in-person meeting. It's like, no, if I'm giving up my time and I'm not going to spend the evening with my baby to meet you, you need to bring all of the people who will sign the contract into my office. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can meet on Zoom, but I need to see both of you. So those are sort of the things I have boundaries around. And then everything else is like, I'll do whatever you want. I mean, I'm not driving to your house. I used right. to do that. I think we've all done that. Yeah. Well, uh, that's actually what I was thinking when you went through the the client in the fetal position on their bedroom floor on Zoom. I'm like, anybody that's done house calls is probably a story similar to that. You know, the, the cat lady or whatever that they walked walked into the house with. Yeah. Okay. So so going going back to kind of your appointment process. So they come in, they listen to the show, they fill in the contact info, you pop up the Zoom. Is it one conversation and then if they want to move forward, they're a catting funds over or what what does that kind of look like? I use a two meeting series and I talk about it like we're gonna have one meeting on each side of the brain. So the first meeting is about you, your commitments, your priorities. As your personal chief financial officer, it's my job to get from you all the information that I need to make decisions on your behalf. And so today we're just gonna talk about your life, your kids, your values, your vacations, your career, your experience with financial advisors. So that's fun. I love those meetings and people talk and talk about themselves. And then I say, great, if we like each other at the end of this meeting, I'll suggest we consider we schedule a second meeting. And that meeting really is my audition. So uh, my opportunity to take what I've learned about you and your investments, put together a plan that I think is right for you. And um, I'll show you why the, the, this is the investment philosophy I've been using for almost 20 years with clients and why I think it is going to maximize the chances that you'll achieve the things that are important to you. And they almost always say yes. <laughs> so my experiences, there have been times when I think the client is busy and I don't want to lose them. And I try to close in the first meeting. Never works. Never works. I just can't do both conversations. Yeah. So I just make one, one conversation very personal. And then I tell them the next conversation is technical, but there won't be a test afterward. And are each of those meetings about an hour? I have seen Discover meetings up to an hour and 30, hour and 45 minutes. I kind of let it go as long as it goes. I say that the length of this meeting is a function of how much you talk. Um, yeah. Like, I'm just going to ask questions. And, you know, you, if you tell me 100 stories, we're going to be here for a while. The, the investment plan meeting, 
Yeah, most clients don't ask too many questions. So we're just talking about efficient market hypothesis, 90-year history of returns in the stock market. Most people don't have anything to say about that. They have questions. But so then then the end of the conversation is like, what logistically does this relationship look like? What can we expect from your firm? What, what do you want from us? And I would say, yeah, 60 to 90 minutes tops. And then let's say they're like, yes, I'm ready to engage to move forward. Is that DocuSign, ACAP, paperwork? What, what, like, I know this is a little bit technical, but everybody's wondering how you do that. So if you don't mind sharing. I'm going to make myself seem so spoiled right now. So literally, I have a PDF that I fill out on my computer. Okay, It's a fillable PDF with all their mm-hmm. bio data, all the account application information. And then I upload it to our secure online file storage. And then I email Jen and I say, make it happen. <laughs> right? hey, that, that one was longer than go. So that one took a little more work for you. Well, if she's in the meeting, she takes the notes. Otherwise, I take the notes. Obviously, you know, taking notes from a client meeting can take, you know, 20 or more minutes, between 20 and 30 minutes because they they need to be very thorough. And then uh, that gets put into Redtail. Jen gets the email and then Jen starts the process. I do work with a TAMP. I work with Loring Ward. So Jen starts the process with them to open account applications. I believe the very first thing that happens is they get a DocuSign copy of the financial planning contract in their email. And that will go to the husband first, unless sometimes we put the wife as the primary contact. That's just my little thing. You know how the wife, the husband always goes first. So sometimes we put the wife first. Uh, and then she'll get the email first. She has to go through those DocuSign questions, which I do get pushed back on sometimes. Actually, just this morning, I had a client kind of go off on me about, you know, those are old trans union pieces of data about people mm-hmm. and they freak out. I can't remember where I lived 30 years ago. So DocuSign is oh, not the perfect. security verification questions on there. Yeah, so. that I don't pick. Yeah. Yeah. I guess LexisNexis picks them or I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's a problem, but having DocuSign is so much better than not even having that capability, right? Mm Because we were wet signature until, I mean, like 14 or 15 months ago. It was like the the caveman days. Uh, And if DocuSign isn't going to work for them, then we do wet signature, but typically DocuSign works. I think that the the inter-institutional transfer process is pretty arcane. I'm surprised at how often we have transfer failures. And, you know, as you know, it, the sooner the money comes in, the sooner we get paid. Um, yeah. So we're focused well, around that. You're preaching to the choir with this audience yeah. <laughs> that's listening in with you. So going back to brick and mortar versus virtual, from the podcasting side, how has that transformed your business? What percentage is in the state of California today from the podcast versus some other state? I can certainly generate that data for you and be very accurate. My memory or sort of if I had to put money on a number, I would say 50% of my clientele is in the state of California. 50% is not. I am registered in the state of Indiana and the state of Texas because I exceeded their de minimis standard. I also have clients in Washington, Maine, Alabama, and those people, obviously, I've never met. Fewer and fewer people come into my office, which I spent a pretty penny on this office last year when we moved in. It is gorgeous. And so I think, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I made a mistake. 
no, but I love being here. But yeah, fewer and fewer people actually come into the office. Although I would say of local people, 90% come into the office for the first two meetings and yeah. then they don't, then they won't, don't want to come in anymore. And, and it's then just they just want to do virtual year. as far as the annual meeting. Yeah. Cause it's phone, email, virtual. I mean, we have an ongoing well, and you're in California and the traffic's horrible. So that probably helps. It's horrible. Yeah. This whole, San Francisco Bay area is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Has it blown your mind? Like as this little experiment has started to evolve and come to fruition, where you now have people states away. You've never talked to them. You've never paid money to host an event. They're literally hitting the website and like, hey, Hillary, I want to chat. I've got 500,000 bucks. You know, I'll be at my home in my home on the weekend, you know, upset because I never put my phone down because I'm terrible. <laughs> and I'll get an info form, you know, someone applying to work with me. And I know that I won't talk to that person during the sales process. And when they come in, when they actually legitimize the relationship, I'm just blown away. I'm blown away that some things that I said in the past and recorded into this microphone had them experience rapport and trust for me in such a way that they would give me their nest egg. It's like, it's an amazing life. I mean, financial planning is such an honor. Um, What we do for people is like very rewarding and fulfilling for me. So yes. And then, you know, every once in a while we get these emails and of course I can't publish them because they're all testimonials, Right. but we get these emails from people who get it and they're like, they rave, they rave and they, they really get what it is at the age of 30 or something. And an account size of $60,000 to get fiduciary advice. And it's very remunerating. Well, I'm uh, just because speaking of show envy, you have more reviews than I do. So that's awesome. I'm happy that's for those you. Vanity metrics. Yes, I know. But <laughs> I'll I'll get I'll leave you a review today. Said, hey, I'll you know, I'm if I haven't already, I'll return the favor. <laughs> so 162 reviews, but 149 five-star reviews. And that is the beauty of hey, that's technically you can't control a client testimonial there. And yeah. I you've got raving reviews when people you know literally coming in. Every single, not every single day, I'm sure, but at least one or two a week, I'm sure, pop in. Um, and yeah, and I think something that's actionable for your audience, there is the podcast. And then I've done a terrible job of creating a blog. By the way, I'm going to blow that blog out of the water this year. I've got SEO people on it. I've hired a writer. I'm going to make it beautiful. But even as insufficient as it is as a standalone blog, the combination of my Yelp presence my website, my podcast, having been on other people's shows. And then the fact that you can see me on traditional media, you can see me on the news on my website. It's grown. I didn't realize what it would be like, but it's like a, it's the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. Did I get that right? Did I actually say that right? I think so. I was <laughs> I thinking like, it's, it's like right. a, I was thinking like it's a snowball rolling downhill was the analogy I was thinking of. Except it just, it's rolling uphill. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I would say if you're envisioning this kind of marketing for yourself and, you know, I don't do seminars. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with seminars. I hear it's on your show where people say they have a three to one return on seminars. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But if some advisors come to me and they go, I've got this great video, you know, how should I promote it? It's like, don't what one video is not going to help. Yeah. That's useless. You, you have to build and put your content in one place or don't do it, right? 
there's nothing more right about this way of marketing, I think. But uh, anyway, my point was, I really think it's the combination of all the things that I've done and done well over the past several years that people find most persuasive and compelling. And for, Google is finally starting to give me love. You know, they're dishing me yeah. up when people search for advisors in my area. So, yeah. And you're 113 episodes in too. So I, I guess the other thing, our industry has this habit of wanting um, instant gratification. You know, Hey, I record a podcast. Okay. Five people want to see me. No, that's not how it works. I guarantee episode one, you weren't getting these sort of numbers. It's been an organic thing that's grown over time as yeah. you've gotten more episodes and more content out there. I mean, it, and oh, another thing, give your audience an opportunity to ask you questions and then answer them on the show. That way people feel connected to you. I thought that was such a trivial little thing. It's a big deal. People, when you answer their questions, they refer you, they play the episode, they feel famous, right? It's a how big do you, How deal. do you do that? What's your system for doing that? I had a Facebook group but until recently. Facebook, because of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, they stopped allowing you to archive Facebook groups. And in the Facebook world, archiving means shutting the group down. But to financial advisors, as you know, archiving means global relay and mm-hmm. making sure you have pictures of everything you post. And so I found out that my group was no longer being archived or recorded. So I had to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Until then, people could ask me questions online by using the hashtag AskHillary. Then we could just search in the social feed for Ask Hillary. We tracked those questions. We noted whether I answered them and on which episode. One of the things I've really done well is build a team that keeps good records, good data. Mm -hmm. So we know everything we've done. So now, um, instead of that, I invited people, and it hasn't happened yet, but on the this week's episode, I said to them, the Facebook group had to get closed down. I'm really sorry. Now to ask me a question, just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to media at hillaryhendershot.com. So I think, I think I might make your world a happier place. Keep going. I'm going to Are you going to talk about speak pipe? Yeah. You've already been there. Does it not work? So the only thing that someone said to me about speak pipe is that someone has to be in front of their desktop to record. I don't think that's the case, but I haven't tested it on an iPhone. I'll, yeah, so now I'm going to. Yeah, so I wanted something that people could do on their mobile devices. I'll certainly yeah. check out SpeakPipe, but I had to like do this spur of the moment pivot. So I may change. A SpeakPipe may be the solution, but and in that way, instead of me reading the question, then they can hear their voice, mm-hmm. you know, on the show, and that's a really cool experience for people. So that. I avoided answering people's questions on my podcast for months and months and months. And when I finally started doing it, I mean, engagement and people's, my perception of how much they appreciate me and the show just went through the roof. So you're pushing me. I've been playing around with that. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but... uh, Why are you hesitating? I just, I don't know. It's been one of those things on the checklist that I just haven't executed on yet. I don't think it's it's just, I think it's a great idea. Yes. I haven't pulled the trigger, so... I think it adds some audio variety to the show too. People can hear, they like to hear music. Uh, they like to hear different voices. They like to maybe hear some comedy. Then they like to hear the listener voices. And I think it's it's good. It's nice. It's entertaining for people too. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I listened to, after our first conversation, I listened, I, I wish I remembered the episode, I would tell you. But what a couple of things that I took from your show is I love the intro. I don't remember if it was you reading it or if it was a voiceover. It's me. It's you, yes. And it's very empowering. Like if I was a female, I'm just handing you my money as soon as I listen to the intro. 
Yeah. And it, and it's not like detrimental to guys. It's just like, hey, we're not going to be ignored any longer. You know, we're we're going to take this approach and here's what I believe in. And it was a very empowering message. And I just think it speaks to you are very smart. And I'm sure this was purposeful as well, was you really niched yourself, which is key in the podcasting yes. world. Because if it's just another money podcast out there, you're one of 500, but now you're not. You're like the female podcast for money. That's exactly. You've got it right. And empowerment is definitely one of my company values. That's what we're about. And that's what I think women need. And I, that's what lights me up. You know, some of these mm-hmm. financial empowerment, female financial empowerment platforms, they want to talk about the gender wage gap and how oppressed we are and how it's so hard for us. And that conversation doesn't motivate me at all. I never really talk about those statistics on my show because it's like fundamentally we're not victims. Yes. From a macro perspective, we've been disenfranchised and disempowered, but you have choice and you have freedom in your life. You don't have to be a victim of data, of statistics. So that's just my... Well, podcasting is about self-expression. Be more you and people who resonate with you will follow you. Yeah. And going back to your... Well, you're syndicating yourself worldwide as soon as you put a podcast out there, which it blows... Like Libsyn, like your whole conversation earlier of like checking the stats and everything. Like I've got this little pocket in Australia, in (laughs) Canada, and in England, or the UK, I should say. Yes. I remember that guy you had on from the UK. And it blows my mind because I'm like, we're sitting here just having a virtual conversation through the internet, but you're actually putting this message out there and there's some random dude like on the treadmill in the UK listening. Yeah. And that is the power of podcasting. They and, have treadmills in the UK? Oh, you're, hey, don't make me lose listenership in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a far off land. <laughs> yeah. No. I feel like, well, it's been cool because through podcasting now, I feel like if I go to the UK, which London's on the list to go visit, I feel like I can hit two or three people up and I've got a place to crash or somebody to show That's me the right. sites. You've got yourself some people. Yeah. Well, I, I know we're dealing with limited time. Are you good to get into a couple philosophical questions, Hillary? Yes. And I have clients coming in 14 minutes. So let's do this. Okay. Let's go fast. All right. We've got to go with this one. What is something that you would like to see considered absurd 25 years from now? Oh, wow. oh my gosh. You should have given me these questions beforehand. <laughs> People driving their own cars. <laughs> I'm a hundred. Well, as someone that has an eight-year-old, almost seven-year-old and two-year-old, I'm so behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Our children will likely not drive themselves around town. And that's a fact. I, I have a Tesla now and I can tell you the autopilot feature. Hey, virtual high five. We're both Tesla, <laughs> Tesla owners. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go with the S, the X, the Model 3? I have the Model S. So we've had it for three years and um, it's a fast little rocket ship. And I never take my hands from 10 and 2 when I have the autopilot on. And I believe four car lengths on the freeway is appropriate because you can set it to go four yeah. car lengths, right? And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to pay attention, but you can drive me. Yeah. Well, the so I didn't know that before I brought up the Elon Musk comment, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's the power of him having his own platform is statistically, I think it's like 25% chance you're going to get in a wreck compared to if a human's actually driving and they've got all the stats. Yeah. So there's a blog post he did. So, you know, there's this thing of, oh, this is like the next bad thing for human beings' lives. But in reality, it's already safer just based on where the technology is today. 
Oh, hands down. There's yeah. no question. The car is the most dangerous place you can be. Uh, you know, so I think anything that increases safety has got to be a technology we usher in. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, now we have another thing to connect on, fellow <laughs> Tesla owners. When you hear the word successful, who's the first person you think of and why? So deep. Well, I'll say this. My husband taught me a lot of things about success. He taught me about making choices based on lifestyle quality. My husband runs a hedge fund and he's a tenured professor of finance at Santa Clara University. The man naps every day. Okay. <laughs> he works a five to six hour day and earns two full-time wages. Okay. So he, I just didn't know any other way other than I'm going to say this and you're probably going to have to bleep it, but balls to the wall. And, <laughs> and I really to say that there's been much worse said on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in this phase of my life, the my the answer to that question has to be about quality of life. And so I'm I'm learning about that. And I, I a lot of times just say, what would Robert do? <laughs> yeah. So that's nice. That's cool. You got you have a rock star financial couple in the making there. And that's hedge fund manager and professor. We are all finance all the time. It's does it ever turn off? Yeah. Sometimes like over the about... family dinner table, are you talking financial stuff or is it just general family stuff? It's almost always finance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, if you're both passionate about it, that makes for a fun conversation, right? Yeah. Cool. Let's go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna reach into I'm gonna reach into this because you've said a couple things. So I've got to hear your insight here. I haven't pulled this one out in a while. If you could look back, so you started in the industry in '99. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How old were you in '99? Well, I was born in '76, so 23. Okay. Mid twenties. Let's just yeah. put it there. So we don't have to do live math. We're, you know, we're in finance. That's not a requirement to do it live. <laughs> no, we all have financial calculators for that. Yes. So if you could go back and give your mid twenties, Hillary, some advice or one piece of advice, what would you tell her? Stop dating criminals. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to ask a follow-up question to that. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways. I'm not even going to ask you to expand. I know that you really meant probably about business or lifestyle. And I don't know. There have been a lot of twists and turns. I will... Oh, I know. Don't hire friends. That's what I would say. Don't hire friends. Boy, have I tanked some relationships. Not good. When you hire someone into a business, that's a business relationship. If you are friends before you are boss and employee, it doesn't go well. I've seen that one play out a lot over the last 11 years. It's a convenient hire, right? But it's good advice. And I think not dating criminals, also good advice. It's cha-ching. That's just two (laughs) thumbs up. Good all around. (laughs) All right. Last one. I don't want to run you right into your appointment here. Yes, you do. Well... Hey, this is a good conversation. I don't want it to end, but what is the one piece of advice you can share with the audience that's led to your success to this point? I think that human beings have misperception that you have to feel like doing something before you do it, before you pick up the phone and call that prospect or before you lead that meeting and talk about the, you know, your investment solutions, before you ask someone, hey, I really like to work with you. Why don't you be a client? It takes courage to say those things. And a lot of times we don't feel like taking the risk or hearing the no, like the potential of hearing the no. But I have just really built a muscle around doing what I said I would do and doing what needs to be done. 
and I know that I'll do it. And it transcends to the gym. I never feel like working out, but I work out five, four to five times a week. Um, and I'm always glad after I did it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I make those sales calls. I have the time for my working, my opportunities pipeline set aside. And, you know, I have to face fear or, I mean, it feels more like dread every time I do it. Cause I don't want to get rejected but I do it anyway. I think when I look at what I've done, I'm, I'm no finance genius. I mean, I've just picked up a few things about marketing and I work, I work it. I, you just have to do the actions that lead to results. And that's, that's what I would say. Well, Hillary, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, this conversation has blown through the expectations already, already high expectations I had. So thanks for joining the show. And thanks for, I mean, you really like, shared your full playbook of here's exactly how you've kind of built the podcasting success. So thanks for just being open and being willing to share that and not kind of holding it close and saying, you know, nobody else gets this because it's going to serve a lot of advisors out there. Yeah. Well, after this conversation, I'm going to start selling that whole thing for a minimum buy-in of $5,000. So there you go. Instant well, value on your show. Perfect. We can, we can partner up on some little podcasting tutorial or course. We can talk about that some other time. So. <laughs> Good. Let's do All it. right. Well, thank you. I'll let you get to your appointment. Um, right. Until next time. Have a great Thanks, day. Hillary. Thanks for checking out the latest show. On to this week's featured reviews. This week's first review comes to us from user Burklow, who says, Great content, five stars. Great up-to-date content. This podcast has been a great addition to my morning commute. It puts me in a great mood and gets me in the right mindset for my business. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for the kind words, Ryan. I'm loving that the show has become a part of your morning commute and even better that it's helping you approach your day at the office with the right mindset. It's interesting how the longer I'm in this business, it has become very clear to me how important the proper mindset is. And rather than approaching an idea and thinking, this will never work, I see the top achievers wonder, what if it does? And what would this make possible? So thanks for listening in, Ryan. And I'll keep this inspiration coming your way, man. The next review comes to us from Jacob E. Hall, who says, Roger Whitney, five stars. I wanted to simply say thank you. First, for conducting a great interview. The content was relevant to where I am at in my practice and where I ultimately want to grow towards. Second, for asking the questions I and I'm certain many listeners were hoping to get answers to from technology that Roger uses to his professional life, but also his approach to client engagement and his process. Third, for taking the time to reflect, share, and give an item of value, Roger's book, as an added bonus on what was already a show packed with tremendous value. So thank you to both you and Roger for helping us get better. Jacob E. Hall. Jacob, what's up, man? Thanks for the kind words and the review. And even better, thanks for taking action and you know what you heard on the show and the big aspirations that you have for your practice. For those of you listening in, Jacob and I actually connected via the podcast after he reached out through the website. And he was just into AE headquarters for a two-day intensive training on how to better connect with your audience from the stage. And we make that available to all of our clients. We spent over 2 years of research conducted on public seminars and why people book appointments with you and why they don't. So Jacob, well done on taking action and putting in the work that's going to take your practice to the next level. I'm excited for you, man. Next up is user Read, 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 who says, Fantastic 5 stars, amazing guests, and fantastic advice. Must listen as an advisor or even a wholesaler who have got to come to the table with more value than ever. Thanks for the review, Read. 
appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts. Also, it's been interesting to find out how many of you Blueprint listeners have found the show as I've heard multiple examples of wholesalers actually sharing it with their advisors they work with all around the country. So if that happens to be you, Reed, thanks for spreading the word. And the last featured review for the week comes to us from none other than former guest John Vroman, who says, Nailed it. Five stars. Interviews with class, digging Brad's authenticity, thoughtful questions, great stories, actionable ideas, perfect blend for a solid podcast. Nicely done, y'all. Thanks, John. Uh, If you happen to be listening into this episode, you are the best, my friend. And for those of you all who haven't listened in on the show I did with John yet, you can find it at episode 17. And a word of advice, it may make you cry. It's that powerful. On a personal note, John is one of the best humans I've ever met. And his dad's retreat has been instrumental in helping me improve at the most important job I have. And that's being a dad. So if you happen to be a parent, you are missing out if you haven't checked out his podcast yet. You can find it at Front Row Dads. It's must-listen stuff. As we wrap this show, just have to say that I love reading each and every review. So thank you for taking the time to send the love via the internet. And for those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, my day job happens to be consulting financial advisors from all over the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus them serving it. Yes, it is possible to grow your business and work less. We call it transitioning from a salesperson to a CEO. And this is a model we've replicated over and over in markets all over the country. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one conversation on how to overcome what may be getting in your way, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. It takes about 5 minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. Taking the first step is as simple as applying at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening in. And I will catch you on the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation. Thank you.